this conversation, I want to bring my friend, the veteran doctor, Stephen Onofiak. Please join me. Because, yeah. And I, I just want to say this at the outset. I, I really want to thank God for Dr. Onofiak. Uh, how long have you been here now? About seven years. Okay. He came to this ministry with the grace message in his heart. At a time when I was not open to it. At all. Now, we never sat down and talked about it. But you know, when a person prays, when they share, when they talk, you can know where they are. And I'm saying this for the sake of this congregation and those who may be listening to us online. I never, because of his position, disallow him to use his gift in the house. I never did. Because in the kingdom of God, there are those things that are variables and there are those things that are constants. Time will not allow me to get into the meaning of all of those things. The constants are things like the virgin birth. We can't debate that. Mm -hmm. Things like the blood of Jesus. We cannot debate that. Things like if Jesus is the son of God. We cannot debate that. Those are constants. It will never change. If anybody comes and starts talking about those constants as being something else, there's going to be a fight. When I say fight, I mean, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about confrontation, rebuke, or correction, as the name may be. But there are variables. Variables. Do you baptize in the name of the Trinity, the Father, Son, or the Holy Ghost? Or do you baptize in the name of Jesus? Variables are things that you do or do not do that may not cause you to go to heaven or hell. Amen? But I salute him and I thank you because even though I was what you call a mixed preacher, mixed meaning I, was, I have one leg in the law and one leg in grace. Back in those days, he sat under this leadership, he served under this leadership, he never once raised his tongue to complain or speak against me. And for that, the Lord will bless you. He did what all of us should do when those kind of things happen. Just pray in his closet. Just pray. Keep on praying. Until God caught up with me. And showed me certain things of which I knew not. And here today we can share a platform. And talk about that subject together. Amen? Amen. Having said that and clearing the ground, let's talk about grace. What, this was, I'm going to speak for about five minutes. I'm going to give him about ten minutes. And then the floor will be open to everybody. Thereafter. You get it? Can I take off my jacket? <laughs> Even if he said no, I would take it off. <laughs> I prayed for it. Amen. Thank you. Let me open up by asking this question. How many people here this morning are born again? Let me just see your hands. 
Amen. Some of you are thinking about it like this. <laughs> that is a variable. I will not fight you on that. Amen. Good. Of those of us that are born again, how many of you say, you know what? I know I'm going to heaven. Can I see your hands? Amen. Good. Thank you. These are not trick questions. Can two or three people of those of us who are confident of going to heaven, can you just stand up and tell me why Jesus must allow you into heaven? It's a conversation, remember that? Thank you, sir. Because what? He died for you. Good. Thank you very much. Stand, yes. Grace. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Through his blood, you are redeemed. Thank you very much. He died for me. Grace, through his blood, I'm redeemed. I said two or three. Okay, let's, let's take some more. Yes, anybody else? Yes. Yeah, he's according to Jesus himself. He said as many as his father has given to him. Yes. Of which I'm one of them. Yes. And we don't allow the devil to take us away from his hands. Amen. Wonderful. All of them are good answers. I'm just trying. Yes, you want to ask somebody? Amen. Anybody else? All of oh, they are all good answers. Yes. No, bro, Sam, go. You are standing. Because of his forgiveness of sins, you are forgiven. Amen. Sins. Amen. You are correct. Sister Laura. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Give all of this a hand clap. <laughs> Praise God. All very good answers. All of them very good answers. And I ask that question to help us understand how incomplete our understanding of grace and our salvation is. All the answers are good. All the answers are good. But do you really know what makes you saved? And what makes you live a life of victory? Of course it's Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit. All of those are correct answers. Let's go to the scriptures. Romans 1, 16 and 17. Romans 1, 16, 17. Romans 1, 16. Thank you. Look at what it says in verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation. For everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greeks. Verse 17. Now, you must understand that verse 17 is qualifying what Paul just said in verse 16. Do you get that so far? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God on the salvation. To the Jews first and then to the Greeks. And then verse 17 qualifies what he said. He just told us that the power of God is in the gospel. Can we just take a pause right there for a minute before I go to verse 17? Where's the power today? 
Why? Where's the power? Where, why do we spend seven, ten meetings to deliver a person from smoking cigarette? Ten counseling sessions. Why are the blind eyes not opening? Why are the lame not rising? Why are the sick not healed? Because the Bible says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Because within the gospel is the power of God to salvation. Salvation means deliverance, healing, prosperity, all of them. That word then in Greek is sozo, which means all-encompassing, everything. Why do we preach 10 messages to get one sinner converted? Mm. And Peter preached one message and 3,000 got converted. Hello? Now, let's go to verse 17. For in it, what is it? The gospel. For in it, what is it? The gospel. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, that just shall live by faith. This is the catch. And this is the reason I ask that question. 99 times out of 100, when you ask believers, why are you going to heaven? The answers we just received are usually the answers we get. And the answers are not incorrect. They are just incomplete. Grace and the gospel has two sides. And you and I must understand and believe both sides completely. Otherwise, you will not get the result that God intended. The first part of the answer is what we all gave. I'm forgiven. I'm loved. He died for my sins. All of those things are correct. And yes, you will go to heaven because of those answers. Yes, that's true. So I, I just want to make sure you understand that. But that's not complete. And unless we get the completion in our mind and believe and embrace it, you will never be able to move in power. Never. At salvation, two things happened. I gave to Jesus my sins. He forgave them, canceled them. I'm forgiven. But that's not all. And before I tell you how that is not all, let me give you a physical illustration to help you get it. I have an account with Wells Fargo. I've written 15 bounce checks. I write the check. It's, fa it's, it's famous for what? Bouncing. Because what? I have financial struggles. So one day I went to the bank. And the manager saw me. Mr. Coach Manager. You man, you are famous for writing bounce checks. You are here today. <laughs> in our board meeting, 
We just singled you out. And we are deciding to forgive all your bad check crying. All 15 of them, the one you wrote to your mortgage, the one you wrote to your car, your tuition, all, we take care of them. All forgiven. Now, what will happen to me? Will I be happy? Absolutely. Thank God, Wells Fargo, you forgive my debt. And I leave the bank. Now, let me ask you a question. When I walk out of that bank, has anything changed in my life? Do you see? This is how we debate. That's exactly what your salvation does to you. You are not sure. Of course, whatever was making me write bounce check, has that been removed? So my bounce checks up to date have been forgiven. But when I leave the bank, I go back to do what I used to do. Because nothing about me has changed. Did you get that? In fact, three more months later, I may be back to where I was because nothing in my finance has changed. I was just forgiven for my past life of writing bad checks. But nothing has been done to me personally to help me so I don't write bounce checks again. So when I leave the bank, more than likely I'm going straight back to work. Are you following my reasoning? That is what the notion of the mere forgiveness of sins is done to you. That's right. right. Your debt of sins own taken away. But you have not changed. You are powerless before your sins were forgiven. Sins are not forgiven. You are still what? Powerless. Why? Because in your mindset, it's not occurred to you that something beyond forgiveness of sins have changed, has, has, has happened. That's what Paul is talking about. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it, it, it is the power of God unto salvation. Power, power unto salvation. There's something about the gospel. It changes me. It has power to change me. If it's going to be the gospel, I cannot come and have an encounter with it as a drunken sailor and live as a drunken sailor. It's not, it's, it's, it's not possible. It's not possible. It's not possible. It's foundational. It says in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Two things happened. I, Banker Kimala, when I was, when I, the day I got born again, I imputed to Christ my sinfulness. Hello. I passed them to him. Jesus took them. He accepted them. But for a change to take place in my life, that was not the end of the transaction. He now gave to me his righteousness. That is what arms me to live in this earth with power. Because now I'm not crouching. I'm not ashamed. I'm not guilty. I feel right with God. Not because of what I do. Not because of what I don't do. 
But because now Jesus has given to me his perfect obedience, his perfect holiness, his perfect righteousness. He has conferred upon me, imputed to me what he is right now. And when I understand that, there is no way I used to drink Heineken and now I, I, I encounter the gospel and go back to drink. No way. It's not possible. It is not possible. The reason we are not changed is because we have a grace 1.0 but for the month of July, we want to elevate your grace from 1.0 grace to 2.0. You must get the other side. You must not only receive the, uh, the, the forgiveness of sins, you must also receive his righteousness. And it all happened when you got born again by faith. That's what Paul is talking about. In it is the righteousness of God revealed. So yes, I'm going to heaven. Because my sins are forgiven and because I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's the correct answer. Did you get that? This righteousness. Do you see the, 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 the I just sense people just say, oh really? I, I sense a kind of dunk. Are you really sure? That's our problem. Righteousness. That with this from God mm. has nothing to do with you or me. We didn't do anything to earn it. It's conferred on us by faith. And if you want to operate in power, you have to receive it. You have, you have to believe it. Do you understand that part? Are you sure? No, seriously. And the Old Testament is full of the picture. God has been preaching this message to us from way back in Exodus. Why do you think the priests of the old when they offered an animal? Number one, why did God say it must be an innocent animal? Without spot. Why? The animal that must be offered must be without spot. Symbolic of its innocence. What sin has the animal that will be offered committed to God? What? Is it adultery? Is it stealing? No, nothing. The animal is totally innocent. Just as Jesus will come and is innocent. And then, God tells the priest, lay your hands upon the head of the animal. Why is he doing that? By laying hands on the head of the animal, he's transferring his sins to the innocent animal. And then God substitutes. He gives to the Old Testament person the innocence of the animal that's been slain. All through the scriptures, it's there. That's what God does. Amen? Amen. So we must understand that foundation. That not only did he forgive our sins, but he also gave us his righteousness. You today, are as righteous as you can ever be. <laughs> oh my God. Maybe I should not have started with this. No. But you see, people don't... You know, okay, I'm going to throw you a bomb now. Coach, I know you're a lawyer. God forbid. God forbid this ever happened to you. God forbid, ever, ever. 
if I ever caught you with another woman, he said, that's heaven. No, I know it's heaven. It will not happen, but it's just an example. In that moment, are you righteous? is why the church cannot move forward. I thank you, son. I I know I put you on the spot. Your righteousness, my righteousness is not contingent on your work or your behavior. If it were, Jesus' death is in vain. That's the foundation. It's the foundation. Huge. That's what Paul spent the entire book of Romans teaching. The entire book of Galatians. If you ever read your Bible, take your legalistic, religious, traditional mindset, set it aside, and then read it by saying, God, teach me. The book of Romans, book of Galatians, he spent all that time. In fact, to the Galatians, he said, you are foolish. Chapter 3 of Galatians. Because he got tired of teaching them and showing them and sharing with them. He said, oh, foolish Galatians. You, you, know, you know what Paul calls witchcraft? You know what he calls witchcraft? It's not what we Africans have majored on as witchcraft. No. For Paul, a person who has been taught grace and is going back teaching or living the law, he said, you are bewitched. I didn't say it. Go and read it. Galatians chapter 3 is there. So, all oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? I know there's nobody here like that. God forbid in Jesus' name. Okay, I'm going to just rest there. Over to you, sir. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you, uh, Pastor Barnes. Uh, you are a father in this house, and you're a father to me, too. And um, I thank you for the opportunity to share this. Let's just go back to Robin's. Uh, 117 that we had earlier on. Romans 117. All right, for in it, the righteousness, and he talked about it at length, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. I want to break down the last uh, sentence that the just shall live by faith. Many of us believe that just the forgiveness of our sins is what grace is all about. You know, if we were only forgiven, in other words, the penalty of our sin, which, was, which is what? Death, right? You see, the penalty of sin is what? It's death. That is separation from God. Not only you know, the physical death where your body is separated from your spirit, but your spirit is separated from God. So there is a spiritual death. Now, the forgiveness of our sins, which is what just, that's justification. Yes. In other words, the justified. The justified. We live by faith. The justified will live by faith. That's good. In other words, just as if you had never sinned. So we are justified by grace. But it didn't end there. He said, the just shall live by faith. So you could be justified, 
In other words, your sins are forgiven. The penalty for your sins has been paid. And so you are forgiven. But also to live by faith. So we have two things there. Our sins are forgiven by grace, through faith. And we can also live the holy life. By what? Faith. Or by grace through faith. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. By the grace of God. He said, I did not take the grace of God for granted. I wasn't lackadaisical because of the grace of God. I didn't take it for granted. But I what? I labored. I labored more than anyone else. And he said, but yet, not I. Not I. But what? The, the grace, of, grace God. of God that has been placed upon me. So the grace of God not only saved us, the grace of God empowers us. You cannot live a holy life as a born-again believer. You see, if we were only justified, in other words, only our sins have been forgiven, we would be what? Forgiven sinners. That's right. How many people are sinners in the house? I know many people say, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Are you a sinner? I'm not a sinner. I was a sinner. But right now, I am what? I'm a saint. Amen. I'm a saint of God, a child of God. And so, we are justified, saved, our sins are forgiven. The penalty for our sins has been paid. We are forgiven. And now God does something else. He said, well, now, Stephen, you now want to live a holy life? I said, yes. You want to obey my commandments? I said, yes. He said, you cannot do it. Now, I have, you have to be what? Sanctified. So there is the justification. There is the sanctification, which is an empowerment for me to live that righteous life. And that is why he has put his righteousness upon me. Amen? Righteousness means you are all right. You are all right. You know, often, often we quote uh, this place in, in Philippians that says, walk out your salvation with fear and and so we stop there. Walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. And we stop there. We put a full stop there. But in my Bible, there is a comma there, right? There is a comma. It says, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do what pleases God. So, I am not living the holy life by my own power. I cannot do it. I cannot, nobody can do it. Jesus did not save us so that we can obey the Ten Commandments because nobody can. He says, I am the one that is walking in you by, by his grace, walking in me to touch my will so that I will be willing to do something to do those things that pleases God. Not only is he 
giving me the willingness. Because sometimes I will and I don't do. So he continues, I will in you and I also give you the ability to do it. So living the victorious life, which is not living in a big house, not driving a big car, I am talking about living a life of victory. It's an all-round victory. Our problem in this world is sin. Our problem in this world is sin. And we, when I was growing up as a young Christian, we sing the song, uh, Jesus is the answer for the world today. And I often ask the question, what is the question? The question is sin. The question is sin. Sin and then the consequences of sin, the misery that sin brings into our lives. Amen. <clears throat> the misery, the addictions, the hate. I just read this morning that, you know, uh, you know, what's that? Yes, that there is. Uh, 126 people killed. Yes, 126 people killed today. That's what sin, the misery of sin, you know, the consequences of, of, of sin. Many are suffering from addictions. Addictions. You know, once we say the word addiction, what comes to our mind was, you know, drugs, uh, you know, drinks and all that. But we have all kinds of addictions. Trust me. There are those that are addicted to people. You know, there are those that are people pleasers. All forms of addiction. The misery, the discomfort, the crippling of our emotions. God has worked on each and every one of the things. By his grace. God's salvation, Paul says in Ephesians that by grace we are saved. By grace we are saved. Not of our own, but of God, so that no man will boast. You know, we'll not, when we get to heaven and God says, well, um, tell me how you got here. He say, well, I built a church for you, Lord. I did that. I did that. No, that is performance. It is by grace. It's not by what you've done. It is what Christ has done. Let me give us a very brief definition of what grace is all about. In fact, you know, some people have uh, described grace, G-R-A-C-E, as an acronym. It's an acronym for God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is a receiving system. Yep. Is a receiving system. Yep. You receive blessings not because you, you earned it, but because of what Christ has done. The law is a performance system. I receive blessings because I am doing one, two, three, four, or I am not doing one, two, three, four. So there is that distinction between grace and the law. Finally, I believe the passage to me, the Bible passage to me that encapsulates the whole thing about grace is Romans 5 verse 17. Can you get that for me please? Romans 5 verse 17. That encapsulates what grace does yep. for us. <clears throat> Romans 5 17. It says, for if by one man's offense, and who is that man? Adam. Adam. If by one man's offense, death reigned through this word man, Adam. And we were all born in Adam. Right? We, all get, we were all born in Adam. It's a much more, and I like that phrase, much more 
those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will do what? Reign. They will rule in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. In other words, it's either you are reigning or you are not reigning. Let, let me say this. Don't lose your thought. It's either you are reigning or you are being ruled. It's either you are reigning or being ruled. Go ahead. Yes. Either you are reigning or you are being ruled. If you are not reigning, it means you are living in defeat. Many of us are living in defeat. In fact, if you ask most people, how are you? How are you? They give a very good answer. I'm coping. <laughs> so you are either reigning or you are coping. Either you are coping or you are struggling. You see, what pastor said, Christ exchanged his life for our life. And Christ's life is not a coping life, sir. No. It's not a struggling life. No. So there was an exchange yep. when you and I became born again. But how many of us know that? That Christ is your life, Colossians. Absolutely. He said, Christ is your life. So there is an exchange. Christ's life for my life. Yep. So you now have Christ's life. Yep. But you cannot live his life. How many people can live Christ's life by your own strength? I cannot. Because it is someone else's life. I've tried to live my wife's life and ask her. It is impossible. I've tried to live my son's life. It is impossible. My son has to live his life. My wife has to live her life. The same thing with Christ. Christ has given us his life for, to exchange for our lives. It is his life. It is only he that can live that life. Amen. It's only Christ that can live that life. And then how does that life become manifest in me? It is by my yielding to him. Yielding to him. And then allowing him to live that life through me. He lives that life in me and through me. Amen. So the whole message of grace is about that. That you now have Christ's life. And then he is living that life through you as you yield unto him. Amen. And so next Sunday, we're going to touch on, just to pick up from where he's, he's stopping right now. Next Sunday, we're going to give you maybe like a 10-minute exhortation on John 15. Because I think that will bring it up very, very clearly what you just described. Uh, you know, John chapter 15, Jesus addressed that. And so you will see very clearly his intention for you and I. Allow him to live his life through us. And so now, if you have any comments or questions... If you just come up to the mic, I will take your comments or questions. Sam, you're already there. Just go ahead. Aren't you there? You change your mind? He just finished you? <laughs> I'll be ready soon. You'll be ready soon? Ah, okay. You're consulting your oracle. <laughs> okay. Any comments? The mics are open. Here comes Miracle Man, Lucky Jaja. Okay. Miss Badaki, who's ready for us? Whoever's ready, go. Thank you, Pastor. 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 Thank you, Pastor.
I can barely hear how. What's wrong with this mic? Come to our aid, please, somebody. Adjust it for her. Thank you. Maybe lift it up. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Oh, no, yes, just go. Okay, yeah, there you go. Okay. Good. Um, so we learned the grace message that everything, God has already given everything to us. So we're not trying to get healed. We're not trying to uh, have victory that everything has already been taken care of on the cross. So what happens in between what he's actually done and the manifestation of us actually seeing all the things that he's done? What are we expected to do? What, since we're not looking for it, Okay, that's amazing that she asked that question. That was the message last Sunday. Yes. Entire 45 minute message last Sunday. But just give you, just to give you the capsule of that. From the time the Jesus has made a provision, or the promise is given, or the prophecy has been given, or you get a revelation of something, until the time that it manifests, your rule is to continue to believe God and give him thanks in the interim. Thanksgiving. Now, in and when, in and through and when all of that is going on, there are many things that can be happening with you. You may be going through persecution. You may be tried. You may be getting falsely accused. All kinds of things can be happening to you. But the point in all of that is Romans chapter 5 makes it clear that those trials or those tribulations, they are working perseverance in you. And the perseverance ultimately will lead to character. Okay? So, you stand. So, the, the, the short form of the answer is just stand. Believe God. Give thanks for him. Thanking him that the manifestation is, is, is uh, the manifestation of what is done is coming. Now, you also, you also mentioned something about serving, that that's works. No, that's not works. Serving is not works. There, there's a confusion there, but, and, and that should not be. We are not saying that because you're under grace, you don't work. That is not correct. Because faith without works is dead. But the work you engage in is not a work that you just conjure on your own. The scripture you just read in, in Philippians. Work out your, uh, your, your salvation with fear and trembling. And then it says, it is God that is at work in you. Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So what we are saying is, there's a place in where me and you join with God in whatever God is working at and get involved in that work. Based on God's revelation to us. Whether it's in serving, service in the church, being a missionary, uh, doing X, Y, Z, helping this brother or helping that brother. Whatever God inspires you to do, absolutely, it's, it's of God and it's of faith. So we are not saying that because you are in grace, you just sit down, don't do anything, just drink Kool-Aid, watch uh, uh, Housewife of Atlanta. All day. No, 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 no. That's, that's, that's incorrect. That's incorrect. The truth of the matter is, those under the law and those under grace, both are working. The difference is the motivation. Under grace, I am working 
for God's pleasure. Under the law, I'm working because I want to please God and I want to fulfill certain obligations. Wrong. Wrong. Under grace, I'm inspired by God. Oh my God, God wants me. Men, I go and get involved in it. But I'm pleased, I'm delighted, I'm, I, I'm happy, I'm full of joy. Why? Because me and God are partnering to get it done. That is good work. Ephesians says that me and you are created unto him for good works. So there are works that are good and there are works that are under the law. You need to be careful about that. To answer your question from the time the word was given, your redemption, till the time you manifest it in the interim, you listen to God, you keep on praising, and we give the example of life of Joseph. That's a practical example there. He had a dream. He had a vision, what God wants to do in his life. From the time he had a vision to the manifestation was 17 years. Or 13 years, I think. 13 years. Okay? And all through that time, God was equipping him with the tools he would need to fulfill the vision. Now, if you ask Joseph when that was happening, he would not have that understanding that that's what was happening. He found himself in sold to slavery. He would never tell you, God is giving me tools or equipment. He would, not, he would not have understood. And that's what's happened to many of us. And that is why it's so important for us to stay in the word and stay tuned to the spirit of God. Because that's the only way you'll be able to get a God's perspective of what's happening to you. My problem and your problem and our problem is we judge where we are based on what we see. Based on how we feel. Based on what we can touch. Based on what we can smell. And we make a judgment of what's happening to us because of those things. And Jesus warned us. He said, judge not according to appearance. But judge righteous judgment. What is a righteous judgment? Touch, get in touch with heaven. God, this is where I am. This is what's happening. How do you read this situation? Because God's judgment, and by, by the word judgment, I'm not talking about he's going to kill somebody. That's not what I mean. By that we mean his counsel, his mind. God's mind and counsel concerning where you are may be totally different from how you perceive it. In fact, 99% of the times, it's different. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, it says, let thy will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. What earth is he talking about? Is he talking about the planet earth? Yes. But he's also talking about the earth, you. You and I are the first earth that God deals with in order for him to deal with the planet Earth that we live in. Yes. Did you understand that? Yes, sir. Ms. Badaki. Uh, just to, yeah. to, to uh, add to that. To add to that, sir. You know, the, that's, that, the, the, the very first verse that we read. Yeah. The just shall live by faith. Yes. And I broke it down into two. Yeah. So from the time that you're born again. Yes. And those promises. And there is going to be a manifestation of those promises. He said, live by what? Faith. faith. Believe. Faith means to trust yep. and to believe. Yeah. And so even those things that might happen to you uh, that do not line up with God, what God has spoken yes. concerning those things, yes. he says, you know, he causes those things to work together 
for your good. Correct. It causes those things. Those things are meant to bring you to the expected end. And so I am not going to be disturbed. Yes. I am going to continue to please God. Yes. Even Paul says, you know, that by the grace of God, I am what I am. Yes. He didn't just end. He didn't just sit down and say, well, the grace of God is okay. But he said, I did not take the grace of God for granted. Amen. He said, I labored. Yes. I labored more than every other apostle. Yes. Even though I was, I am the least of all the apostles. But yes. he said, yet it's yes. not me, yes. but the grace of God yes. that is in me. So the grace of God empowered him to trust, to work, to serve, not by his own strength. And I think something else that must be added for the sake of those that were not here last Sunday is the fact that there are certain things in the in-between that is not covered in your redemption. You must understand that. 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Paul sought the Lord three times for the thorn in his flesh due to the abundance of revelations given to him. And God's answer was, my grace is sufficient. Okay? What are those things? Being misunderstood. False accusations. Persecutions. Go and read your Bible. Your redemption does not cover tribulation persecutions, being misunderstood, or being falsely accused. And you should be glad that you didn't cover it. You didn't hear me. You should be glad he did not cover those things. Had it covered them, Jesus would not have to go to the cross. He wouldn't have to go to the cross. He said, in this world, you have what? Tribulations. But be of good cheer. Why? I've overcome them. I've overcome, overcome them. So, any other comment or questions? You change your mind too? Ah, okay. <laughs> um, my question comes from Proverbs 9, 15, and 18. I have been struggling with that passage of probably no, in the group. He says, uh, in verse 15, for he says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Move to 18. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy. And he hands whom he wants to have. Jesus died for all of us. I, I didn't understand why um, God had to suffer. <laughs> 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 the grace is sufficient for all of us. Well, that is, that is one of those uh, difficult uh, passages uh, that we try to understand. We know we research. But uh, keep in mind that God is a sovereign God. Absolutely. You're on the right track. um, He does what he wants to do. Uh, I mean, you have no say in it. So when he wants to harden, he does. But that hardening, because some people might might say, well, the reason why I have not received Christ is because God has hardened my heart. And that is not true. 
because he says, I harden, you know, I have mercy on whom I want to have mercy, and I harden the hearts of those I know I want to harden. You see, God foreknew, because he knows, he knows everything. He knew that Pharaoh, for instance, he knew that Pharaoh was going to harden his heart. He knew that Pharaoh was going to harden his heart. This is the thing where some people talk about election. You know, that God has elected to save some and not save others. He knows those that will be saved. He knows those that will receive it. He knows those that will reject him. But his salvation is to all. So Moses, God, I mean, Pharaoh, God knew that he's, he's going to be hardened. And of course, he allowed him to harden his heart for his purpose. Because God was going to bring something about in Egypt with respect to the children of uh, Israel. Yep. So he foreknew, it's not that God hardened their heart. Yep. But God knew that Pharaoh is going to harden his heart and then he's going to use that hardness of heart to fulfill his purpose. Yeah, my question then is, would be, was the grace, so the grace was covered, whatever that person was doing, or does the grace cover? First of all, grace, the, Titus 2.11 makes it clear that the grace of God unto salvation has appeared to all men. So even for those that you're talking about, God in his wisdom and sovereignty gave them the opportunity to receive his grace and to understand his message. But the point prophet is making is the, is the real point here. There is no one who has ever lived on the face of the earth that God did not know before they got here. And we know that from scripture. He said to Jeremiah, before you were born, I knew you. So if he knew Jeremiah before he was born, he knew every other Israelite or Pharaoh or whoever. He knew them all. Don't forget that. So it is in his foreknowledge, as he explained, that God can make the determination of those who will have heard the message and rejected, and thus he says, I've hardened their heart. Even Pharaoh in Egypt, when Moses went to him, if Pharaoh received the message and cooperated with God, God will have done what he did in Jonah. He will have repented. Repenting not mean asking for forgiveness or anything, change his mind. Because we've seen him do that through scriptures. Amen? So the issue here is no one can ever say, you know what, I wanted to receive him, but God hardened my heart. That's why I could. No, 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 no. Not even Judas. Not even Judas. Judas could not say that it was prophesied that he would betray Jesus and that's why he did it. No. No. Because we all have what we call a free will. That's right. It gave us that free willingness to freely choose every mankind. And, you know, it is the act of God's love <laughs> that he has given us a free will. Yeah. He did not make us to be robots. Yeah. But through his love. Yeah. He wants you to love him because you want to, not because you have to. Yes. Because you want to do it, yeah. not because you have to. So there must be, there must, in order for you to exercise your free will, there must be a choice. Yeah. Choice must be present if you're going to exercise free will. But to your question, if you read the passage you're talking about, if you read above, you know that Paul was specifically talking about Israel. Yes. That's how he got to this. Because he's talking about Jacob and Esau, and clearly God knew both boys before they ever got here. That's right. And God talked about them before they were born. So 
the, the foundation to your answer is the foreknowledge of God. God does not pick one man and say, you, you are going to go to hell and just doom them to hell. That's not true. That's not true. That's not correct. Thank you, sir. Anyone else? Going, going. Or comments. Or comments. Yes, sir. Who is that? Oh, she was Jetina, you have something? Don't, don't call me after the service. <laughs> if you have something, just come to the mic. The mic is here. If you don't ask these questions now, please don't, don't, call, don't call me on my... Uh, please, don't call me at home later on. It's still, it's this is an open next, forum. They still have next uh, Sunday. Yes, we have next Sunday, so we're going to close this in a minute. We have, yes, go ahead. It's just a comment. Yes. Yeah. So there will be more people. Sure. Yeah. You know, you, it's something that I mentioned, uh, Joseph. I know Jacob did say that Joseph is a fruitful God. Yes. And in reference to that, I'm referring to uh, Psalm 1. Yes. In you know, 1 3 specifically, mm-hmm. says, if we are back at the water, and you know the water is the water of God, to enable us to be able to understand this place that we're talking about, mm-hmm. we need to dwell in the word of God. Correct. Because if we know Him, Absolutely. 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 Yes. Amen. Amen. I agree with you. I agree with you. And one notion that must be dispelled among the adherents of, of grace is this notion that because you believe in grace, that should make you lazier, you shouldn't live holy, you shouldn't pray. That is absolute nonsense. Did you hear that? Let me say it again. Absolute nonsense. If and when you truly believe in the grace of God, you should read more, pray more, live better, Absolutely, because now you, 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 are in, you, are, you are in this love relationship That's right. where you become love sick. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you remember when you used to date your wife, your husband, uh, you, are, you are in courtship. I mean, you, you can't sleep, you can't eat, you are so full of love, you are thinking about them 24 7. That's what the grace message is doing to me. That's what it's doing for me. It's not this idea that because I'm walking in grace and then all of a sudden uh, uh, you start looking at naked women on the, on, the, on the internet. Madness. No, 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 no. Seriously. God forbid. Because now you recognize that somebody took your place. Gave everything he has to redeem you and put you in a standing you could never in 10,000 years attain by yourself. And then stands by and says, Bank, you're going to make it. I'm with you. I'm for you. I mean, you are hearing that constantly from him. How are you going to leave him and go do something else? No. It's an empowering lifestyle. That's right. That's what it is. It's an empowering lifestyle that makes you fall in love over and over and over and ask him, why do you love me so? Yeah. Yeah. If that's not happening to you, you need to come back to the altar. No, no, no. I'm not, I'm not saying that in a, in a, to be, no, to, put, to, to really make it, uh, what was the word? 
to, to denigrate you. No, I'm not saying that. That means something has not really happened. Abba, case in point, the Samaritan woman, John chapter 4. Let me paint the picture. This woman was an outcast. The entire city knew her. Hey! Jezebel, prostitute, harlot. I don't know if you wear the badge, if you had a cap that says harlot on I don't know what it was. But everybody knew her trade. And therefore, she could not go to the well when the community is there. She knows she will be the talk of the town. So she only went to the well at a time when nobody else will be there. That's how bad her situation was. Watch this. She comes to the well. And there Jesus says, I must needs go to Samaria. To show you how God is a God of the underdog. <laughs> a God of the rejected. A God of the outcast. Those on the fringes of our society. Those that we've said, ah, this one. <laughs> it can't be anything. Don't waste your time with this one. It's a useless man or useless woman. Jesus said, I must, I'm going to change my itinerary. I can go to where I'm going in five minutes, but I'll take a longer journey because I have a meeting with destiny. And there she was. Alone. And Jesus engaged her because Jesus knew she would never talk to him. This is what got me, Doc. After Jesus read her mail and has finished ministering to her to show you how she immediately stopped seeing herself as an outcast. Remember? She came there as an outcast. One that's rejected by everybody. But after having an encounter with Jesus, the same people who have made her an outcast, she went to them. She didn't wait for them to come to her. She went, which means she no longer see herself the way she was. She had the boldness, the audacity, the courage to go and find the people that has already put her down. And said, you guys, I know what you used to say about me, but let me tell you, I've got good news for you. Come meet a man who told me all about myself. So my point to all of us is, if you don't have that encounter, if you are still seeing yourself the way you used to be, something needs to change. If you are still seeing yourself as an African, as an American, as a Caribbean, as this and that and that, if you are still seeing yourself in these labels, and you have not seen yourself in the righteousness of God, the way God has redeemed you, something is wrong. You are still under the law, not under grace. There must be an encounter. That's why all of next month, we are going to talk about worship. Yeah. Because the truth is, if something has not happened to me, mm-hmm. what message am I giving to anybody else? You can't give out what you don't have. How can I give what I don't have? Every week, invite somebody to judge. Bring somebody to judge. You can't. How are you going to? Because nothing has happened to you. You have nothing to tell. But when you know from the dumpster from which he has brought you out, 
When you know what he has done in you, then you have a message. When you know the mess from which he brought you out, then you have a message. So that's what I'm saying. We have to have an encounter. Personal encounter. Then we can say like the blind man in John chapter 9. Once I was blind, but now I see. Being blind is history. Now I have eyesight. Amen? Catch my damn, don't leave. Give your offering before you go. <laughs> she won't just get, the, get her pocketbook. Just take her pocketbook. <laughs> Bishop Manadon, welcome back. <laughs> Thank you all for all the support. Thank you. Thank you. Father, I don't want to buttress the point. I don't want anybody to leave here and say they say I'm sent. Maybe when you are fornicating, you are committing sin. But I don't want to refer you to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I'm going to look at Let me, I'm going to let uh, Doc talk to that, but let, before Doc, just sit down, sit down, sit down. That's fine. Be, before you say anything, let, let me just say this. Let's read the whole thing in context. That's right. It's important. Because Bishop just singled out the fornication. That's right. Let me, let me read that what Paul said. Okay? Uh, let's start from verse 6. It's important that we read it all. He said, Now these things became our examples. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Okay? And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So he began verse 6 by talking about not lusting. So it's not just fornication. Lusting. 
Then verse 7, it says, idolaters. So it's not just fornication, it's lusting, it's idolaters. Then verse uh, 8, don't let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Verse 9, nor let us tempt God or Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Verse 10, nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Number one. Number one. You cannot isolate any sin. All sin is what? Sin. There's no little sin or big sin. If we go by the letter of what you just read, then the sexual immorality the same judgment comes upon those that complain. God is not looking and say, okay, yours is complaint. Okay, I'll let you go away. Yours is immorality. You go to hell. No. All of them have the same blanket response from God. Do you all understand that? I'm taking one by one. Do everybody understand that? We need to stop this thing in the body of Christ where we say, oh, all he did was just lie. So I let it, I let it by. But this one, I dodge you. Ah, hey, that's a big one though. No. No. The biggest sin in all of scripture is the sin of unbelief. Simple. Simple. Because an unbeliever, and when I say unbeliever, I'm not talking about a person who has not received Jesus Christ. Even for a believer, a Christian. A Christian living in any kind of unbelief is worse than an adulterer. It's worse than a fornicator. It is the only singular sin that Jesus addressed in John chapter 16 and Hebrews 3 11. Bible calls it evil sin of what? Unbelief. Huge. So let's just debunk that for there. Then the second level of debunkment. You have to understand the context of what John, um, not John, Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 10. God destroyed those people. And yes, there are serious, grave consequences for anyone who will live in any of these sins. Whether it's mourning and complaining, idolatry, uh, what does it say? Sexual immorality, what, what is it listed? Uh, lost, all of these sins carries grave consequences. Grave. But when you read what Paul talked about, did those guys come out of Egypt? Hello? No, answer me. Bishop, since you want to ask another question, you, uh, get on the mic and answer me this question. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is referring to a group of people who were already redeemed. So, typologically, they were already saved. Do you all understand that? They had been taken out of Egypt. Saved. They did not arrive at the promised land. Where is the promised land? Is that heaven? No. The promised land was never heaven. No. The promised land is a spiritual place of dwelling where all of the promises of God in your life becomes fulfilled. So for those guys... 
because of the sinfulness that they engaged in, they never attained to a place of fulfillment, a place of satisfaction, a place of victory that God ordained for them. That's the lesson that Paul is telling us to take it up. Paul is not trying to unravel salvation because he didn't give salvation. And let me just say this to all of us. And I know where Bishop is coming from. It means well. I understand that. That's where I was three years ago. I fought nose to nose with anyone that told me that a, a Christian that sins will go to heaven. I fought it. And I meant well when I fought it. Now, I know we've gone beyond time, but the questions, I have to answer these questions because I don't want you to go home without the answers. Let me read one scripture for you and I'm going to just shut up. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Bishop, don't leave. <laughs> for you, because you don't live here, you can come to my house. We, we continue the conversation. For the rest of you guys, you better say to you here, don't call me, don't come. <laughs> Matthew. Oh, is it chapter 12? No, it's not chapter 12. Can somebody find for me the story of Jesus inviting uh, yeah, 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 yeah. the vineyard where he hired laborers? Is it Mark? Mark 12? Yes. Thank you, Andrea. I appreciate that. No, this is not it. Well, I say thank you anyway. Praise God. I, I, w- I won't take the thanks back. <laughs> this is the story where he hired a person at the 11th hour. Any Bible scholars here? Ah. <laughs> is it Luke? Uh, huh? Matthew 20, thank you very much. Matthew chapter 20. Good. Thank you very much. The parable of the workers in the vineyard. This is huge. Huge. Verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner. What is, the exam- what is he just saying? What, what story is he is about to tell? The kingdom of where? Talk to me, please. The kingdom of heaven. Don't forget that. Put that in your memory. The kingdom, the story is about to tell has to do with where? Heaven. You guys understand that? Good. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, you will receive. 
So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. Hold it right there. As a human being, how would you pay these workers? Using the human element of reasoning, how would you go about paying all of these guys their wages? I will pay them based on the time they were employed. Good. Give, give me a handshake, Bishop. This is the chief lawyer in the whole house. Do you hear what he said? He said he will pay based upon the hours everybody has worked. That's how humans think. But not God. This is the biggest grace story. Because when Jesus began to pay, verse 9, and when those came who were hired about the 11th hour, they each received a denarius. But when he first came, they supposed, like Bishop Manadon, that they would receive more and they, and they likewise received it a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, This last man worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? This is our issue. You and I, we sit here. I don't commit adultery. I do not fornicate. I don't lie. I don't do it. I live as right as God enables me to do. And that other guy, he's fornicating. He's committing adultery. How dare you, God, allow them to heaven? Bishop, do you own heaven? No, that's the truth. We don't. We, me and you, as mortals, do not set the criteria for who goes to heaven or who does not go. We don't. We did not redeem a fly. It is God who redeemeth. And it is him who has the final authority on how he discharges his grace and his love. And we need to be careful not to be the policemen of heaven. That's what happened in this story. There are some men that worked all day and this other guy just came in one hour. And when pay time came, all of them got the same pay. The same amount of money. And they were complaining. Ah, we've been working all day. So, for by grace are you saved. Not by labor. By grace are you saved. Not by labor. So my answer to you, Bishop, is no matter what a true born again believer does, they are sent. That's the answer. Whether I bank like it or not, it's not up to me to change the rules. Jesus has done it. Yeah. Because once you start going there, then I'm going to ask you, at what point, how many times will they have to sin to lose heaven? Is it the first time they sin? Is it the third time? Is it the eleventh time? Is it the 15th time? Is it the night? Who, who, is, who is taking the count? Because this is what happens. Once you go there, you're back in the Old Testament. Why? Because in the Old Testament, 
Once sin happens, hey, turtle dove, ram, bullock, goat, you have to go to the market, buy goat, and sacrifice. That's exactly the message we've preached and the world has not changed. Because the world is not able to see the love of God. I was there three years ago. That's where I was. But God shows me through his word. I mean, if we, are, if we are making it up, it's a different thing. Ah, this is too good. This is too good. And I know you are not here. We taught this for a whole year. When were you forgiven for your sins, sir? I'm just asking. When? When did it happen? When did it happen? Yes. The day you were born again. Wrong. Wrong. You were forgiven 2,000 years ago. You received it the day you were born again. See the difference? The day Jesus went to the cross was when all mankind was forgiven. It does not mean all mankind is going to heaven. No, that's not what I said. The day he went to the cross, all mankind's sins were forgiven. Past, present, future. And that makes sense. Why? Because if that's not the case, how could he forgive me 2,000 years ago and it's in effect today? He only did it once. He went to that cross one time. And that one time forgave all mankind. So, if that's true, then Bishop Manadon, your sins were forgiven, paid forward. So if they were paid forward, the sin you will do next month is already taken care of now. No, no, no. Let, don't rush. I want it to sink in properly. <laughs> the, the, every sin I will ever commit before I was born. Why? The Bible says, before you were born, I knew you. Oh my God. Let's read the Bible. Jesus was at, oh my God. Jesus, no, 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 this is true. Jesus was actually taken to the cross before creation. Revelation said the lamb was slain before the foundation of the earth. So before Adam and Eve ever came, God already knew they would sin. And I was already taking care of the sin before they ever arrived. So you think you and I control heaven? That, that, that we'll do something here and go, ah, sound. Oh, why did you do it again? Jesus, angel. No. No. God is bigger than that. Jesus was slain before the foundation of the earth. So God was now looking at Adam and say, ah, Jesus, look at this trouble. Look me, look at Hala. Look at this trouble. And then send him. No, 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 no. He already made the decision, already dispatched him before the foundation of the earth. So given that, that understanding, ah, catch my damn. You are going from place to place to place. Pierre, stop out the door. <laughs> Given that example, then you understand that sins were taken care of in advance. Now, but I understand your concern. Let me, let me make sure I adjust that. I've said this and I'm saying this again. Sin is not a good preposition. Any man or woman who engages into sin, you are engaging in your own self-destruction. 
there are grave and agonizing consequences. It's like knowing uh, AIDS and taking.